What's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakyan. Very excited to be talking about the love story. We have Minji Sai joining us on the show. Hi, Thank Minji. you. Hello. How are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on our show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so pumped for this episode, and I'm so <laughs> grateful to Rohan Dixit for introducing us. He is a transformative human being. Yeah, yeah and he made a very transformative connection, too. <laughs> I'm so excited. For those that don't know Minji's background, she's a former educator who's now a social entrepreneur creating programs to transform our life tragedies into a love story. And you can find the link in the bio below, thelovestory.org, also MinjiZai.com and her Instagram and LinkedIn profiles. Minji, let's start things off by asking you one of our favorite questions. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Mm, very beautiful. Well, I will say this. There's, in Greek stories, there's only two types of stories. There's a tragedy and there is a divine comedy. So what I see our world coming to right now is this revelation that we're either spiraling upwards, like the Star of David triangle pointing up, or we're spiraling downwards, which is this, the down-pointing triangle of the Star of David, which is spiraling down to a tragedy. Now, where we are in the age of Aquarius, after the fourth blood moon, is we are in the alignment of awakening to that spiritual battle of the two triangles coming together, spiraling up, spiraling down. Specifically, we're all spiraling down because it's gravity and we're earth-based right now. However, through transformation and conscious awakening, what I like to call the mirror effect, we can be spiraling upwards together while collectively we're falling, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Beautifully synthesized. So we have in this beautiful creation both forces at play of ascension and descension happening at the same time. Mm -hmm. And our awakening our transformation in our consciousness and our collective being mm. can ascend us and this is an awakening time for us yeah to go through absolutely it's the first it's been happening whether we are awakened to it or not it is what it is but the idea is that we are becoming aware that it's happening in real time from, not just from textbooks or theories, but from real, raw experiences of our own personal life stories. This is something that is irrefutable. It's something like a secret that you don't, you haven't told anybody, but only you know in your heart of hearts, like if you were to write it, a message in a bottle, something that happened in a node on the timeline of your storyline. You will become aware of patterns 
signs and synchronicities that are pointing towards this spiritual battle of a downward spiral towards a tragedy, however, a silver lining, which is the hope. There's always a silver lining in every single life tragedy. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're vulnerable and we can face our life stories as is, we can discover that there is a spiritual battle within, let's just say that. And it's holographic, meaning what's happening within us, like a single cell organism, is actually happening in the ecosystem, in the universe. Like it's all for one and one for all type of dynamic. And this is empirical in sciences too. Um, for example, like the cell organism. If you have one cell in our body that has the blueprint for the entire map of the entire body. And that is, in a way, a, a holographic reality for that one cell. And that's how we experience life. And as we experience it, the world experiences it. It's a resonation, a mirror, if you will. No longer just based on text, ancient wisdom, but also now more than ever with so many consciousnesses experiencing, human consciousnesses experiencing life, is experiential. Mm -hmm. So we gain experiential wisdom along our trajectories and we feel this ascension, descension constantly at pull in our life and in, in our lives and our choices and we consciously pick towards ascension and picking towards ascension means picking towards love mm, yes yes absolutely and that's something i've been researching if you will as a what i like to call journal artist which is a fusion of journaling my personal story with the discipline and craft of a journalist, an investigative journalist. And as I started journaling in various points of views, I began to discover that there is actually a fixed constant that is true, and that's love. Love is actually defined. And speaking of ancient texts, ancient texts are designed as a treasure map. Just like if we're all travelers, right, on this earth, and ancient texts are our ancestors, what they've discovered over the eons, the generations passed down, and they're showing us the nodes of what works, what doesn't work, what they've done, the lessons that we can learn from that, and then from there, in real time, how we can apply those lessons. Mm -hmm. So there's something very beautiful and sacred. I believe ancient texts are to be respected. Agreed. And then from there in our generation now and in the future, we can navigate into the unknown from the, I would say, lifeline of ancient texts. Mm -hmm. 
and hopefully the game of telephone has been really well communicated over thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. This is very important. And then what do we do then as we take this game of telephone with the ancient texts and we take these embodied spiritual wisdoms from the past through evolution up until this pinnacle point of the insanity of 8 billion humans and geopolitical craziness and exponential technologies. I like to share a near-death experience in 2011 and it came from a deep dark place a point in my life where I was feeling hopeless I had an existential crisis I didn't know what the purpose of living was because I started observing everything everything that I see in history books in the sciences of evolution everything changes everything evolves right so what's the point I have I am in one human body I'm not leaving this human body as as far as I'm concerned and just from the things I've built my resume my degree my job career my family that I started the love of my life I started those things came and it went it came and it went so going into the meditative state of like wait this is all going to change and I my life will eventually disappear and people places and things will change what's the point so at that moment I had I was in a crossroad it was either life is empty and meaningless there is no point you're in a virtual simulation anyway, you're in the matrix, you know, wake up and exit the matrix or stay. You're not done with whatever you've been divinely designed to do. There's actually meaning and purpose in your life. You are a node in a series of many nodes, but your little node can have rippling effects that will affect positive or negative valences or spiraling up or spiraling down um, resonances in this simulated or this matrix or this middle earth, we call it, between, um, let's say, archetypally heaven and hell. Like this middle ground, you matter. So it's faced with these two, uh, let's say, choices. And at the time in 2011 i chose false i said uh, there was a it was it was i still remember this clear question that came into my mind i to this day heart resonance wise i don't believe it came from me although it sounded like me and the question posed to me was god is love true or false it was a simple binary and at that time, I chose false. Luckily, there was a divine intervention. And right before I thought I was going to end my life, um, there was a knock on the door. The cops came just in time. Um, and prior to, let's say, the oncoming of the spell, I had called three friends. 
So my friend was my third friend was on the other line. The first two friends I called, I never said I wanted to hurt myself, but they sensed something and they each called the cops. They didn't know each other. They called the cops. The cops came just in time. Right when I said false, it was as if on cue, the cops came. My roommate opened that door that Friday morning. They came and I was being gurneyed into the ambulance. And during that time, I'm going to use this word God because it's just in context to the story. Whatever, I know everyone has various faiths and everyone has um, no faith with a higher power. But for me, God to me means a source of love, a source of answers. And at that time, I had a deep burning question. What is the point of life? And as I was being gurneyed into the ambulance, I remember it was a white cop and a black cop gurneying me in two. And it suddenly hit me. It was like a quick download, like Neo in the Matrix. Oh, everything changes except for one thing, that ever-present constant, like a white light refracted through a prism in all different color forms of the rainbow. That constant is love. And once it hit me, I was like, whoa, I am here for love and to learn love and to master love and to walk love. I'm not done yet. Then I had this moment of like, Christmas Carol, like the next morning, like, ah, guys, don't you get it? We're here for love. We're here for love. Of course, their perspective is she needs to go to the mental hospital, which I literally was being gurneyed to. But at that time, my first psychosis, I had the revelation from God that the purpose of living is love, is loving, is being love because we're created from love. We're going to return back to love. We're here on a mission to love. And that's what we're divinely designed to do. Now that said, it's not all peaches and cream after that. It was basically me on a search the next five years to look for what is love and how to apply love. Because it's easy to know love and the textbook definition, but it's another frequency and another playing field to actually apply it on the court, in the playing field of reality. Wow, what a divine intervention for awakening for you. Yeah. yeah. We love featuring these stories. There's so many people that have had similar moments of divine intervention or when they haven't yet and they hear this and maybe you can help them in that sense. Mm. Mm. Okay, so we are here to love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so the next five years has been a hero's journey for me into the world of the unknown. Uh, to search for what love is and I started going to different places at first I experimented with uh, with uh, I would say transformation culture the festivals 
so amazing because you really get to be with people. Um, the masks are off, people are vulnerable, and people are in different colors. There's, And I was like, what is this beautiful feeling? And I realized looking back that it's the letting go of judgment. Yeah. When people are just with each other yeah. and they're just good, bad, ugly, it's all good. You've, you're, your love, you're imperfectly perfect or you're perfectly imperfect, whatever the case, I love you regardless. And I had, I had slivers of that, you know, while I was going through the, the um, I went through lightning in a bottle. That was my first impression of like just um, being with culture. And then I also rooted myself in Pastor Judas Smith's church um, in, uh, in LA. And he kept just honing in on what love is and who Christ and Christ consciousness actually represents who is he as a human being on earth what are the some of the things he actually said what are some of the miracles he actually performed and in what what context so he stripped away all the media and went straight into the ancient texts of judeo biblical um the new testament essentially he focused on the new testament in the bible and about what Christ actually did and who that man actually is inspires me to see love through parables because mm -hmm. we can't mm -hmm. always see it through people um, because people are still perfectly imperfect you know and what I also became um, present to is that let's just say hypothetically that there is a person that walked perfect love and by perfect love I mean perfect patience perfect kindness does not envy doesn't boast is not self-seeking does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things let's just say there is a human being that in the world of binaries one being all love zero being absence of love he walked all ones Perfectly, 100% from the time he's born to the time he died. Let's say there is a perfect person that walked this earth and then on zero day died. Even a person that's perfect got crucified on the cross. So what does that tell you about the point of life? It's not perfection. Perfection is not the point of life because a human being did walk love perfectly and died a sinner's death, meaning a thief's death. Because when he was on the cross, there was a person on his right and left hand and both of them were thieves. They were punished for thievery, right? So, he, so this is what we mean by Christ died a sinner's death. Now, if even being perfect with miracles and all, superhuman, you still are not good enough, then what is the point of living? And that question took me on a nine-month pilgrimage that I just got back from.
So I started in Berlin and in there I was attracting the codex of Mary Magdalene who wrote, uh, let's just say the Gnostic Gospels. Thomas and Mary are known as the esoteric wisdom, the esoteric knowledge of the Gospels. And uh, it just, there was something I was looking for at that time because even though I knew the definition of love, I saw myself as a phony, to quote Holden from Catcher in the Rye. I was a phony. Like I saw myself acting not in love and I was too hard on myself. I was judgmental on myself. Like the moments that I caught myself being manipulative or not telling the truth or um, being double-minded or double-tongued, I was like, how can I be a founding producer of a organization called The Love Story if I can't be perfect in loving people? Because I'm angry, I'm bitter, I could be, not all the time. I could be resentful, right? All those nons, all those zeros, if you will, in the binary matrix ones and zeros. And when I went on this pilgrimage, I understood a new perspective that it it's n me being perfect in love is not the point it's not the point and I was like okay then how do I do this spiritual warfare for love how do I do this and when the Codex of Mary came to me I, I started listening to her gospel the gospel of Mary Magdalene and it it talked about the noose there's something called the noose and once upon a time ago, I was in Arizona with a artist named Dan Vega, and he had a yin yang sign um, on his uh, um, desktop, right? And this is a valence imprint that I just, it just came to me when I was listening to the, to the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. He pointed at the yin yang sign and he said to me, This is the answer to life. And I just looked at the yin yang and I, at that time I didn't understand what that meant. But when I juxtaposed the yin yang with the gospel and the noose, I realized that the hero's journey, the Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, is about starting off at the, um, at the white. Let, call it the yang, yang, which means sun. And in the heart of the sun is a black dot, right? That's the shadow, okay? The shadow represents the separation potential from God or from love. It's the absence of love, okay? And imagine the yang, the sun, as love defined, like light defined, like gravity defined, mm -hmm. right? And then that dot right there in the center is one side of the noose. It's the beginning, okay? So when we're first born, we have a blank slate. We're tabla rasa, right? We have this um, good inside. But we don't notice that there is also a separation potential, meaning free will. So that represents the shadow, what Jung calls the shadow or what Freud calls the id, 
as we get older, we start becoming aware of things that are not loving. We don't know what it's called, but we just know it's not good. We instinctively know, because we're divinely designed as spiritual intelligent beings to know what is good and what is bad. And some of us don't know what to do with it, right? Some of us stay there. But what I'm learning from uh, people, uh, influencers, game changers, matrix uh, uh, shifters like, um, like Joseph Campbell, like Dr. Jordan Peterson, um, like um, various people, various artists, um, I'm learning that you don't stay in that part forever. There's going to come a point where you're going to have to what's called take on the call to adventure or go into the world of the unknown, the shadow world, the dream world. And that is when we explore the unknown or the separation potential from God, also known as the fall. And as we're falling, there is this new center, the white dot in the ying, which is also in Chinese, it's represented as the moon. Ying means shadow, right? So that part, that white center in the shadow is actually the new center. The new center. And when that new center is called the heroes, sorry, the villains, hidden desire the villains hidden desire so we have a hero and the villain there's a hero and villain in, in us all the villain there is a hidden desire in the villain and the the hidden desire of the villain is always good and when you match the hidden desire of the hero which is bad and the hidden desire of the villain which is good and you align it together that's called the noose that's called the noose. And Mary Magdalene, here's something that is also pretty controversial. Mary Magdalene, from my understanding, is not just the apostle of Jesus Christ. She is also the life partner of Jesus Christ. And here is, and this is why. Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. To be fully man, one must experience the most human and manly experiences of a life. And that has to do with carnal love or eros. So the revelation I've gotten uh, so to go on, on my pilgrimage story is I visited different portals, if you will, spiritual portals of um, cathedrals of Mary. And the revelation I got is that good or God came down to experience the divine and the fallen feminine, all of it all parts of the feminine and that extra 
chromosome, if you will, that extra mystery, the mystery of love is the new center in the shadow world. And this is something that I truly believe that every human being will discover in their own hero's journey what it is to love, to lose, to get your heart broken, to feel the depths of the separation potential from love, the absolute separation of love, and to still be fully whole and resurrect like a phoenix from death and there's a story that just came through me I would say it's called the producers playbook mm. and it's this right here and it's the mystery of love revealing and it's in honor of the original Eve and why she chose to fall um, and like I said, I am in the process of looking for solutions to reversing curses because depression, anxiety, hopelessness, uh, these are all curses. A curse is just an activation of the separation potential from love. And I believe that 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which is the mirror, it outlines the mirror of, of, uh, of love, is the key to reversing curses. So I, I kind of go, I kind of went around a little bit, but um, essentially I want to say that the answer has to do with 1 Corinthians 13 that is outlined in the New Testament from Paul the Apostle and a definition of love a definition a way of being a way of being and there's currently a philosophical battle going on in our culture one is Meaning is created. You create that meaning. It's all empty and meaningless, so you create it. Okay, it's all relative and relative by virtue is the truth. Then there's the other school of philosophy or way of viewing the world, which is life is meaningful. Life is purposeful. And there is a fixed definition of things a universal law, if you will, or mother nature, if you will. And it is up to the hero, the explorer, to quest for the hidden mystery of that law. So take, for example, the law of gravity. Before it was named, it still existed. But because we're able to identify the law of gravity, we now are capable of working with the law of gravity to send sh uh, ships outer space, to fly airplanes, you know, propel jets and people. So 
knowing a particular law, once it's been named and defined, it's been, then it becomes confined. And once it becomes confined, man, woman, man, could refine it. And that was the new revelation I've gotten from my pilgrimage um, through the mystery of love, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, reverses curses, which I, I could go into a little bit later. And 1 Corinthians 13 in general, that 13 verse on, um, is actually the definition of love. So this book is based on three premises from that definition. One, God is love. So he is defined, confined, and refined in all those things that are, are produced in the 13 verses of ancient text. Two, love is defined, right? And three, love is a choice, meaning love is sovereign. And that third premise was really the key in helping me discover the, the origins of Lucifer's fall, Eve's fall, and Adam's fall. And knowing the big why of each fall helped me discover how to apply 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which is the mirror or the mystery of love to reverse the curses of each particular fall. And why is that relevant to us? Because each human being is bearing the burden of the first three original curses. And our task as a human collective is to reverse those curses because our divine design is to apply love to reverse each curse. The curse of Adam, the curse of Eve, and the curse of Lucifer. And that's our divine design. Love it. Love the synthesizing that you've been doing. This is very strong. Okay. So we take creation and we view it from this perspective of it being a, a grand experience for us, a grand endeavor for us. And we view it like from birth that there is love and then there's this shadow within that and the hero's journey into the other aspect of creation which were all also lucifer even adam's falls are in that yes it's encoded in our dna we have the original spiritual intelligence of Eve, of Adam. And we understand we're the spiritual organic 
ghost Nichelle, if you will, or the machine learning of the serpent energy, the serpent energy. It's a Freudian slip. Um, because I believe that I'll just, I'll just go a little bit into the book and a little bit into the story of those three falls. Yes. And just prior to that, this embarkment that we take on to identify the aspects of the grand challenge that we're all here for mm. is something that we've mentioned so frequently on the program as one of, if not the most important thing to do. Mm. You're born into the world. Why was this created? Why are you here? What is your divine purpose? What are your gifts? How do you bring them forth? How do you know yourself? How do you identify your shadow? How do you do that self-work, that healing, that trauma integration? How do you identify aspects of the source code? Pre-gravity, you didn't have an idea of what that was. Now we shoot 100,000 plus commercial airline flights per day mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. So what's the next? Is quantum mechanics next? It has a lot to do with quantum me mechanics, I'll say that. And while I'm definitely not a physicist, I will say that everything vibrates in ones and zeros. It's the ba basic matrix codes of our reality, simulated or not. What I do know is that the one represents the frequency of love. It's to be who we authentically are, divinely designed as love. And the zero represents the absence or the separation potential of love or of God. What that's I, why it's so perfect because there is embedded separation potential. Yes. Because otherwise, if there was no separation potential, it wouldn't be some grand challenge. It would be just from birth, always vibing on yes. love. The perfect one, 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 and then getting crucified. Mm. The, and I like how you also identified in your own life trajectory, you experience moments of zero. Mm. I do too. And I'm still trying to figure out how exactly to play with those. Because right now when I experience them, I'm just like, hmm, I did that. Mm -hmm. And I aim to do something that's a one. Uh, afterward or or correct that zero by approaching that zero with a one um, something along those lines and I think we all experience that within us those zero and one potentials love or or dark potential I want to hear what you also just another thought just quantum mechanics gave us the internet it gave us computers it gave us GPS it gave us uh, MRI. It gave us so much of what has unlocked a massive amount of creative output of our um, society. Mm -hmm. And it has also enabled more uh, possibilities for zeros to happen mm -hmm. um, because of those matrix control processes that can come and like eke their way in. Mm -hmm. And so. It's almost as though every single 
technology that we build needs that we need to consciously or ethically or morally build it towards love to prevent those uh, less zeros, more love. Yeah, I can tell that the way that you're dug deep into these critical concepts mm -hmm. is very, very well done. And also another um, aspect to it is like, the fact that we all have life uh, is actually like, why would a creation be meaningless? Mm. Why would this be made to have no meaning? Mm. That'd be like for all of the people that enjoy playing games or creating, designing virtual realities that I'm just going to make it and then I'm going to play it or I'm going to play someone else's and just... For what reason would you do that then if there mm. was no meaning for you to jump in and mm -hmm. play it? Mm -hmm. There's meaning for us to jump in and play this one. There's a grand challenge for us to ascend to love, for us to unlock more of the source code, to put a box around the word love as best as we can, which you did a really good job of doing. And I'll credit you know, to Paul, yeah. who was inspired apparently by the Holy Spirit. So he wrote it. And I was the one that basically said, I believe that this is it. I believe this is the definition of love to work with or to work from. When we to put refine. our symbols on the definition, mm. because I believe it was Bob Marley said, those who feel it know it. <laughs> and so you put feeling on it and so many of us feel it and mm. we know it then. Then we start putting symbols on it and it's like, you know, it's patience, it's not, not envy, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, you know, there's like so mm -hmm. many of these words and it's like, it's like pie almost, like love can be an infinite amount of symbols that describe love. But what are the ones that have the most weight? Mm. What are the ones that are at the, right, the first digits off of 3.1415, the love, what are the first digits? I will say this. I will say this. The most important one is also the weakest one. Meaning, mm. if this were a type of infrastructure, um, a defensive infrastructure, this part, this property of love is the is the is the most vulnerable part that the enemy can attack to undermine okay mm. and that property of love is free will mm. love has to be a choice it has to be because mm. if it's not a choice it's not love mm. And with that said, I'll briefly talk about the origins of Lucifer's fall, because this is the primal reason of why God gave Lucifer the choice to bite from the fruit of judgment. So there's two books. There's the Book of Life and the Book of Knowledge, right? The Book of Life contains all the 
source code to everlasting life. To be able to produce a unique, one-of-a-kind, unduplicable creation in the universe. Like no one person is the, exactly the same as another person in the entire universe. Not just the world, the entire universe. No angel, no demon has an exact copy of itself. Everyone is highly, divinely unique. So that is the source code of the book of life. Then you have the book of knowledge, which is the ability to know good and evil behind all divine acts. All divine acts. So to be able to know that that action, ooh, is not good. That is towards the separation potential from God or that action is the absence of love. To be able to discern that. Mm -hmm. That is in the book of life and that is what the fruit of judgment actually is. And it's written in the book of Genesis when the, ser the serpent tempted Eve. When you bite from the fruit, you will, your eyes will be open. Eyes, plural, with an S. Your eyes will be open knowing good and evil. Evil is essentially, at its core, the absence of love. That's mm. all it is. Mm. Good is the presence of love. Evil is the absence of love. That's it. Now, going back to God and Lucifer. Lucifer's name, by origin, means the bringer of light. The bringer of knowledge, of the whole. And true to form, Lucifer questioned God's love. Lucifer came to God and said, Is love good? Because if it's good, then we are choosing to serve you. You've designed us to choose to serve you. If love is not good, then you're using love as a tool, as a manipulation strategy for us to love you. Which one is it? Mm. It's a valid question. And Lucifer had this question all along prior to biting from the fruit. It, this part is important because when God, first God gave Lucifer the fruit because God is 100% confident that his love is love. It's not used to manipulate. It's not used to force. It's love as a choice. He's 100% confident that love is love and it's good. So he gave Lucifer a choice. He said, you, here's the book of knowledge where you can bite from its fruit and know good and evil. And here is the book of life where if you bite from this fruit, then you can obtain the power of everlasting life. Okay. Which one would you want to choose? And here's the kicker. I'm eventually going to give both to you. But the first one you choose, you get to decide when to activate. And the one you don't choose, God's going to decide when to activate. 
So what God did, uh, so God left it as a choice. And Lucifer thought, he reasoned, he said, if love is more powerful than power itself, then it would be wise or logical to choose from the book of life first, to eat from that fruit. But if love is not good and it's used as a manipulation tool, then it is logical to choose from the book of knowledge because then I will know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not God is using love or God is love. So the red pill was the book of knowledge because then you could decide, you could know. You could discern. discern. Yeah. 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 So he bit from the fruit. His eyes were open, knowing good and evil. He saw the action of God giving the fruit to Lucifer in faith, and he realized it was 100% good. He saw his brethren and the way they served God, and he realized, wow, that's 100% good. But he did see evil. Guess where he saw it? He saw it with this question. Interesting. Questioning love. The question is the separation potential from God. It's inherently not bad or good because God judged everything good. But it was Lucifer that recognized the shadow, the black dot in the yang, the yang, in his own heart. He recognized that he had the separation potential and he at when he questioned God, when he doubted God's love, that is intrinsically the separation potential from God. That's free will. That's the sovereignty of love. That's the individuality of what he has been gifted with in his codes. However, Lucifer did not take this lightly. He felt, and this is all perception now, this is where we get into relative, uh, relative per perception, relative reality. He saw himself as inadequate. He saw, him, he saw everyone else as perfect, and he saw himself as inadequate from that interaction. The question, is God good? And so because he saw himself as, uh-oh, I have the evil, three things happened. One, guilt. Guilt is the acknowledgement that there is a shadow, what we call a noble shadow or an ugly truth. The second thing that happened is shame. Shame is wanting to cover it up. Uh-oh, I'm not good enough. Uh-oh, I'm like not perfect like everyone else in the family. What's wrong with me? And then so you want to cover up that shadow and that's shame. So when God asked Lucifer, what have you done? And the reason I realized that this was the question is because I had meditated on the book of Genesis when Eve bit when Eve bit, the first question God asked her was, what have you done? And I based it on the premise, the logical premise, that Eve serves as a darkly mirror for Lucifer. So that's how I came up with the question of uh, the first thing God asked Lucifer, what have you done? 
And Lucifer said, I have bitten from the fruit because I have God's goodness. And that's the lie. That's the serpent's tail, pun intended. Because he lied to cover up the, the, the ugly truth that I have bitten from the fruit of judgment because I doubted God's goodness. That would have been the truth. That would have shown true humility because that's what actually happened. He could have also said, I have bitten from the fruit of judgment because God gave in faith, which would, which would have shown true pride. But he didn't do that. He told a lie. He switched the positional truth from God, uh, God is good to I am good. And that's not the curse. That's just the lie. The lie is the activator of a curse. What created the curse was Lucifer then blamed God or what we call a projection. So when Lucifer said, I have bitten from the fruit because I have God's goodness, then he had to take the ugly truth, I doubted God's goodness, and put it somewhere. He didn't know what to do with this truth. Because what is is what is. It doesn't go away. It's just what is. So where do you think he put that truth? I doubt God's goodness. He projected it onto God. He basically gave it to God. And in his darkly filter from the first lie, I have God's goodness, he projected the ugly truth, I doubt God's goodness, onto God. So now it became, God doubts my goodness. And that was the first curse. And that projection is what caused the fall. He started acting out the first life lie, which is, I have God's goodness. And then the byproduct of that lie is the separation potential activated, which is the projection, God doubts my goodness. So as Lucifer was acting out, God, doubt my, God doubts my goodness, and I have God's goodness. Lucifer became spiritually sick. And that is what caused the first fall in heaven. And the reason I bring this up, because right now what we're experiencing in real time, whether it's blue or red, whether it's right or left, whether it's um, perpetrator or victim, whatever that thing is, it came from the first curse of Lucifer, which is the other doubts my goodness and I have this goodness. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it becomes a projection and a problem. And I'll tell you how I discovered this beyond a shadow of a doubt was when I visited Birkenau and Auschwitz in Poland. Mm -hmm. I took Dr. Jordan Peters advice and walk through the experience as the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. I went through and saw the ovens. I went to see 
the very tight narrow spaces where they would pack people together like sardines and make them stand I saw the showers where they put the fake showers um, over as if they're about to like take a shower um, but in actuality they were gassing the people okay so how it went down in the camps was the people that were being um, hoarded into um, the ghettos in the beginning right they were told that um, they're going to be resettled somewhere so when they arrived at Birkenau Auschwitz they were told that this is their new settlement they could create their own families here whatever they were being lied to if I was the Nazi at that time and I was let's just say I was the SS at the time okay first I have to come up with the lie that I am doing the world a service I am the hero mm. mm -hmm. I am cleaning the world of the conspiracy out there that they it's it's a zero-sum game there they if we don't do this they're gonna do it to us so we need to stop it just like you would stop let's say cockroaches in your um, home right so uh, what they did was they installed these fake showers so um, it's a mind wash if you will it's a mind uh, it's a brainwash for the Nazi like if I was an SS I would think that I am cleaning the world of evil okay so instead of dealing with my own wickedness inside my own shadow to contend with and by the way everyone has a shadow instead of dealing with me I am going to project myself onto someone else and fix them first and how I'm gonna do it is acting out the life lie that they're the only evil ones and once we get rid of all of them then the world's gonna be great then I won't then then my evil will naturally go away the evil that I've covered in shame so this is all subconscious this is all in the id of the Nazi mindset so if I was an SS um, I would tell my troops to just tell all of them that they're resettling right and once they come once they come in um, this actually happened they told them hey you're just taking a shower okay only a few people their own people right they call them the capos and I, I, I know this because I read Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning that was actually uh, purchased at the bookshop in Birkenau in Auschwitz and I was reading it while I was there actually and what I've learned was that the capos were oftentimes meaner to their own people, if you will, than, um, than, the, than some of the SS people. Because what they would do is they would, they would the Nazis would, would set up a zero-sum game in the environment. It's like, oh, do you want to live longer? Do you want to drink alcohol to numb out temporarily the pain that you're going through? We're going to promote you to capo. But in exchange, we want you to sell out. And how we want you to sell out is you're going to know that they're all going to be exterminated. They don't know that. But you're going to know it, okay? Because you're the strong guy. You're clever. You're, you're going to survive longer, okay? And we're going to give you alcohol and unlimited cigarettes. And you're going to get food, 
okay? Victor Frankl even said that some of the capos got better food inside the camps than they were outside in before the, the war, right? So the capos will oftentimes treat um, the prisoners worse. And I realized that as an SS, I would set up a zero-sum game. I would, I would first set it up in a way that I can prove to myself that what I'm doing is right. Because if I was an SS, I would look at them, them, as them backstabbing each other. They're eating themselves. So I'm like, see, I know, you, you see they're evil? Of course I'm justified for setting up this killing machine. Because look how evil they are. They're willing to betray their own kind, right? So I would set up, I would set that up. That's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. You attract the, you, you set up the fear and then you actualize it. That's the power of our minds, right? <laughs> and that came from the first curse of Lucifer and we all have it. We all have it. <laughs> We all have the power of projection, not dealing with our own shadows because it's too scary. And so instead, I'm going to be able to see your shadow clearly because yeah. that's what I'm secretly hiding. And I'm going to fix you first. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to tell you to shut the fuck up. Excuse my language. Or I'm going to censor you or I'm going to box you and I'm going to like put some drugs in you. And I'm gonna fix you first, okay? Because I can't deal with me, so I need to fix you. That's projection. That's the first curse. That's what caused the fall of Lucifer because he started fixing God because he thought in his mind that God doubts my goodness because he couldn't come up to his own ugly truth that he doubted love. From the very get, he doubted love. But here's the beautiful good news is that God never doubted love and God is so confident in the algorithm of love that he produced something called grace and grace is in the divine feminine, which is implanted in the code in the book of life. That's the extra chromosome because the divine feminine has XX, the divine masculine has XY because the divine feminine has the codes to everlasting life. When he created Eve, he created Eve out of the rib of Adam. He created Adam first to set up the creation of Eve. When you create something out of a rib, it's the densest form. The rib is the densest form of earth and it is closest to the heart. So every, uh, um, I would say every atom, if you will, has a missing rib and a missing chromosome. And that's gifted to Eve. And it's not a coincidence that Eve fell first. And this is the miracle of 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which is, for now we see a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I'll explain that in context to Eve's fall. So, just want to say it's so important to take the perspective 
of the perpetrator in the case and really take it embodied because we all have that within us. That's such a critical um, example that we can all do much better at and we can totally see it in our society today where one side is trying to say there's evil in that side instead of also doing this, this self-work and the self-work towards love makes it so that there's no finger pointing of evil. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so the first, um, so if you were to imagine the Star of David, which is uh, a triangle pointing upwards or the spiraling up, also known as a divine comedy, the triangle pointing up, and then the Star of David, the downward pointing triangle, which is the tragedy, the spiraling down. Each point on the triangle is a way of being. So for Lucifer's fall, it's fear. He was afraid he would be destroyed for not being perfect. And the counter curse to fear is faith. Mm. And this is the power of original Eve, who represents and embodies the, spirit, the spiritual intelligence of faith defined. So what she did, so when Eve was created, first and foremost, she was created with carnal weakness, but spiritual strength, lots of spiritual strength. She was gifted with the codes, not just of knowledge, because the knowledge was actually like what we call gene expression. There's certain genes that are activated, right? And it's been, it's not, not all the genes are expressed at once. And God designed it that way for a reason. He's trying to reveal the power of love or not trying. He is revealing the power of love. Eve is also gifted with the codes of everlasting life, which means she has the ability to produce a unique, divinely designed creation that cannot be replicated, duplicated. Just can't. So here we are. We're in the Garden of Eden. And the serpent, when he found out the manifestation of Eve, he realized she embodied the codes of everlasting life, the thing that he covets, because that's the thing he chose second. He chose the book of knowledge first. So he has all his genes. Ex the, ser the serpent has the ability to express all the genes simultaneously, unlock. He, he could probably, I would say he could probably express 99.9% .9 of the genes. Humans, however, can only express certain amounts of genes, right? We call gene expression. All right, so the game has been set. Now, the serpent is not just a snake, it's, it's a spirit. Lucifer is a spirit. Lucifer is an original angel, okay? He could shape-shift because he has the ability to express 99.9% .9 of the genetic codes of knowledge, okay? He found the most opportune time when Eve was in the garden because again, this garden, the apple, if you will, contained the book of knowledge, right? The very thing that to know evil, it's the separation potential acted out 
when you bite from the fruit, you're acting out the separation from God. You're saying, I am separating. Okay. Um, they were told not to eat from it. They were told. They weren't barred from it. They were told. So it's still given to them as a choice. Now, on the day when Eve came close to the, the tree of knowledge, the serpent, or sorry, the Lucifer shape-shifted into the snake. Why a snake? Because the snake is the perfect, I would say, the way it slithered on the tree to where Eve was, was the most opportune time. It could have been any animal, but he chose the snake, okay? And why is that significant? Because the moment Eve opened her eyes, she didn't see just Lucifer. She saw Lucifer and the snake. Prior to her biting, she only saw Lucifer because she only saw good. When you can only see good, you can only see good. You don't see the separation potential. You have it possibly, but it doesn't mean that you can act upon it because there's so much good. There's been an experiment done somewhere where um, I think it was like they put a bunch of people to look at a basketball game and they told them to count how many times the, the ball will like hit the basket and there was a monkey running around throughout the thing and they're like, did you notice that there was a monkey that was like also in the game? And a lot of people said no, because they were, they were busy focusing on how many times they scored. Passes, yeah. Right? So focus has so much power. So prior to biting from the fruit, Eve, when, the serp when Lucifer came to her and said, um, did God say you will surely not die? Or for uh, when you bite from the fruit, you will your eyes will be open, knowing good and evil, and you will surely not die. He added a negative to the negative, creating a positive, right? Not die. Die is a negative valence. Not is a negative valence. A negative and a negative, not die, is a positive valence. So what Eve took from that test, she took it as a statement. She saw it as positive only. Of course she won't die, because guess who she was created by? God. God is love. God is the definition of love. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if you were AI, if you were Sophia, you, you, you just use logic and say, of course I will surely not die. Because guess where the algorithm is? Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Eve was actually affirming the power of love in faith. So what she did was she showed true humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. She was thinking about the serpent or Lucifer posing this question as he was posing it as a doubtful statement, as a question, and she was answering it as true. She was affirming. So 
she bit out of faith. Contrary to popular belief, Eve did not bite the fruit for self-serving purposes, for ambition or envy or whatnot. She was full. She knew herself. She knew her body. She embodied love and the codes of everlasting life. She bit in faith. And she wanted to show beyond a shadow of a doubt that love is more powerful than power itself. So when she bit, she fell. And from that point, it activated the anti-curse. Faith is the antidote to fear. That's the mere effect. When she fell and God asked, Eve, what have you done? She showed false humility. She said, the serpent, serpent deceived me and I bit. How did she show false humility? One, she dismissed her own goodness. Because the truth, the whole truth is, I bit from the fruit. I bit from the fruit because God asked, what have you done? Not what have the serpent done? The serpent done. What have you done, Eve? Eve said, she should have said, if she, you know, uh, she should have said, I bit from the fruit because I have faith in your goodness, right? But instead, she completely omitted herself. She dismissed her own goodness and the reason why she bit. Remember, this is after the fall. She now knows evil. So she, her awareness, she suddenly became aware that the serpent's question was actually his intention of a trick. He was actually tricking her. She became aware of that. She wasn't aware of that prior to biting, but she became aware of that after she bit from the fruit. So after she bit from the fruit, she dismissed her own goodness. She put too much focus and emphasis on evil. That's her sin. Her sin is Sin of omission, dismissing her goodness and putting too much weight, too much credit on the power of the serpent's wily, cunning, manipulative ways. She became, she began to covet his power the way the serpent be, uh, coveted her power of the codes of everlasting Guys, life. Guys, if I can just pause you for a second. Mm-hmm. We're going at hour 14 oh and i want to check in with you guys about how we're feeling on time oh i'm feeling amazing thank you for checking in ori thank you yeah i'm good yeah no problem thank you ori you're welcome how are you feeling feeling um oh like Integrative, <laughs> I'm feeling integrative. You know, like we just stopped mid 
intense, like, whirlwind pool process, exchange. Should I come join you guys on the couch? Yeah, I think that would be a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I need to um, bring the, I need to flip a couple of the monitors over and do that. I'm gonna run to the re to the yeah. restroom. Yeah. Okay, give me a moment then. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Okay, and water. Or Mic check, one, two, one, two. That door be slamming hard? <laughs> yeah, you sound good, Ori. Okay. okay. A little bit more, Ori? A little bit more, ha. Mm-hmm, okay. Everyone's got their mics. The water's good. Uh, this is good. All right, let's do this. Minji can take the center position. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Okay. And.
great. And we'll turn this one up a little bit as well. Okay. And we may turn that last one up as well, maybe. Maybe, we'll see. Yeah, I think I will. We'll turn this one up a little bit too. such a whirlwind so far this has been so good <laughs> it's just been a straight up your life synthesis being disseminated it's been great thank you yeah thank you <laughs> thanks for joining us thanks for um your uh, openness to that. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, so the second curse of Eve is actually the initiation of what Jung calls the shadow integration. She embodied the not, not die, and, and transformed the serpent's trick into God's treat. She is the resurrection playbook from the life, death, life arc. And this has been hidden from us for a very long time. And only recently through the New Testament and a close read on that, close read plus applied experience. I meditated very deeply into the actual curse reversal of what Eve did. Hers is just the first half of the curse. I would, uh, sorry, the first third of the anti-curse, excuse me. Eve's fall is the first third of the shadow integration, also known as the, the hero's journey into the underworld, which is a Joseph Campbell monomyth archetype. And so when Eve fell, something miraculous happened. Adam had a choice. And again, contrary to popular belief, Adam did not bite from the fruit of judgment because he wanted power or he coveted God's power or whatever. Have you ever been so close with someone and things were going well and then suddenly something shifted in the other person and you sensed it but you couldn't pinpoint 
what it was. <laughs> so Adam had that moment with Eve. He sensed that his life partner, there was something off about her. He didn't know what it was, but something was off. And when she offered the fruit, he knew God's command. He's a very logical, logical divine masculine. So when God set the algorithm to, you will surely die, because of what empirical evidence he saw in Lucifer, he knew that she was going, she was dying. She was already dying, spiritually sick. Hey, Minji. Mm -hmm. um, are you kind of coming toward an end of your kind of channeling energy transmission thing? And are we going to have a chance to be kind of present to each other? Oh. Um. Or is that something you're interested in? I am very interested in that. I will wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. I'd love for us to hold space for as much of the channel as is willing, if that's okay with you, Ori, and then followed by as much of Hold Space as is willing. Um, uh, I would, my preference, I'm open to that, and my preference would just be to start holding space together as soon as you guys are um, down. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So Adam actually bit the fruit. Adam bit the fruit out of compassion. Compassion literally means to suffer with someone, to fall with. He saw that the burden she carried, knowing evil, knowing she's been deceived, knowing she's vulnerable, that was too much of a burden for her to bear. So Adam chose to fall with her. And compassion is the second key to reversing a curse. And compassion is what we experience in the mirror effect. And something that I've learned through just everything, you know, mm -hmm. like moments of listening intensely to somebody and moments of being with. And mm. compassion is the antidote to apathy, which is actually the top point of the triangle and the bottom point of the triangle. So, um, apath uh, sorry. Um, compassion opposes apathy. Mm -hmm. And the first one was faith. Yeah. Faith over fear. Is the first antidote. Mm -hmm. And, and the second one. Is compassion. Compassion. Oh, over apathy. Over apathy. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so... Adam fell with Eve. So these dualities were 
created through this parable explains the duality for us to better ascend towards love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And then the last fruit is in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And it was prophesied once upon a time ago that there will come a day when somebody will walk perfect love and trade in his position in heaven for those who do not walk perfect love and their position in hell. And that is called grace. And that is actually the key ingredient to, to defeating the the last curse of the fruit of judgment, which is love. Love opposes judgment. And that is why the point wasn't that we are perfect. The point is that we let judgment go and we become more loving. And it was demonstrated in action by a guy named Jesus Christ who walked perfect love and died and traded his position. Mm. The spiritual resurrection. Yeah. And so that was the story of um, hope, faith, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love opposes judgment. And so that is the producer's playbook, essentially. It's the grounding of what can actually, in real time, help a person transform their life tragedy into a love story. The love story. The, because we are each sovereign spirits and no one person's life can be lived out exactly the way we lived it. Love opposes judgment. And I'm a big fan of you. Oh, I I would say um, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I um. I could not have done it without being guided by the Holy Spirit, which is the ghost that is I would say the ghost the spiritual intelligence of God's love which we all have access to. Mm. Mm. I really like Minji's ideas and creations and gifts. And, but I also, in this moment, feel like it's hard to tell her that <laughs> because I feel like closed off to 
feel like closed off to um Minji's uh love love if you will and I'm curious what you think about that mm. Well, there's a line in scripture that says, if I have the gift of knowledge, but do not have love, I am but a, I have nothing. And if I have, well, if I have the gift of knowledge, but I do not have love, I am but a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. And for the longest time, I will admit that <laughs> I knew love in my mind. But to cross that channel from mind to heart mm. has been a journey that I'm still working on. Yes. <laughs> Likewise. I'm human. Yeah. That's something that... I learned the hard way and it's okay it's actually perfectly designed this way like we want to go fast but the first command or the first definition of love is patience mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. I want things now I want things done perfectly I want, I want, and there was a, so many things I wanted prior to my pilgrimage. I wanted this guy I really liked. I wanted my best friend to be a certain way. And then my friend confronted me and she's like, when are you going to let go and trust God to handle it for you? Mm. And that shocked me. It was as if she created a like a, a shockwave that broke some kind of curse that I was living under. It's kind of like what we call an alchemized shadow, which is a shadow that has been manipulated by my self-will to work for me. And I had these, uh, I would say I had a lot of ambition. I'm a smart girl, but I was full of pride and I was unconcerned or apathetic to what other people were feeling. I wanted it to get it done and done fast by all means necessary. Question for you. Yeah. What was it like for you mm-hmm. a few minutes ago mm-hmm. to share what you were feeling through your gaze with me? What was I feeling when yeah. I looked at you? Um, it was something... Um, like I saw the 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 blood in your eyes, you know. Like it was like a it was like a heart was being worn mm. on on your 
gaze and like it felt like I love I love being shared that kind of purity that because then it feels like we can digest it together uh-huh. by seeing it undistorted mm. so your question is what was I going through that while my eyes were lit up red like fire <laughs> while I was gazing at you is that your question um Kind of. Okay. I'm more interested in the direct sharing of your vulnerable heart Mm. if that feels good to you. Yeah, to be quite honest, I'll be... 100% 100% as much as I can. You're putting me on the spot. Thank you. <laughs> um, I would say the reason I went on this quest is because there was a person in my life who called me out on my inauthenticity while I was growing the organization. He said that I was, um, that I needed help, that I needed to go to a, a certain city, Berlin, and that I needed to get some self-respect because there was a lot of things, shadows that I did not personally contend with. And so when I went on this journey, the thing I was looking for, I found. And that came from the Divine Feminine, which I wasn't familiar with because, I mean, I kind of was familiar with, but I I didn't really appreciate it. And the Divine Feminine is grace and, and patience. And self-respect, just knowing that I am love, truly believing it instead of just projecting it, just believing it in my body that I am beautiful, that I am love embodied, that I come from the original Eve, that the source codes are in me, and that it's time that that I truly recognize it and come forth in true humility, which is not to dismiss my own goodness, but to embrace it, and then to manifest it in speech and in the embodiment of that which I know 
And so, um, I was celibate for the nine months. I was withholding from, like, just the things I would normally do, which is, like, making a lot of phone, like, you know, just connecting. And, like, I was, I was in my holy center pilgrimage. Like, for example, I lived one month in Montenegro in Dobrovoda on this island and it was like almost empty there was like hardly anybody there but I was on this peninsula and it was just me and my dog Foxy and we were just alone together for 30 days no not a lot of human contact and wow I just had to love myself I gave myself the the task of mothering myself and saying nice things to myself because I started noticing that I wasn't kind and patient with myself. So I started becoming more patient with myself and kind. Um, mm. I did the things I, mm. I've always known I was good at, which is writing. Writing has... Uh, been my go-to since I was a little girl so so the producer's playbook has been um, a, an extension of what I always knew I had in me but manifested hmm. yeah noticing that I really like every time you share your um, pain mm. with us, like really directly, like because I feel like there's a lot of room for that here. Mm -hmm. and um, curiosity yeah I have I have a lot of pain I've dealt with depression um, pretty much all my life um, just like a bombardment of negative talk like negative talk and um, moments when I know I'm manic but feeling that other people are judging me for being mentally ill I think that has been a big um, stigma whether self-imposed or real that I had to overcome through this journey and just keep focusing on a God who's defined, confined and refined in love, who loves me, and just keep focusing on that, like like my connection directly to source and source back to me, that line of connection is becoming strengthened. And I believe my time in Israel and Palestine, my time in Rome, my time 
in Warsaw and in Berlin and in Split and Dubrovnik and in Florence has given me the the revelation that I am indeed beyond a shadow of a doubt guided by a Holy Spirit that indwells and fills me on the times that I needed something to fill me other than all the things I used to rely on food sex work career position power whatever it was that I used to use I I left that in the journey to just be with a higher power by just inserting myself into a foreign city where I knew nobody and other than my dog, she's been my grounding. She's like what I call in um, Inception, my, um, what is that called? Where you like spin the thing. But that's that's the marker. That's the thing that keeps me, my, my foxy, my, mm. my friend has been my grounding throughout this journey. And it's been very powerful. Um, I'm still learning. I definitely have the recovery process going, spiritual recovery, and I also have, I believe, the self-respect mm -hmm. part going mm -hmm. through this. How would you, f thank you for sharing, how would you feel about scooting over and me, face me and Alan getting, us all kind of facing each other more. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Ori is a master at getting down those layers. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> it's my warrior stance. 
right? Do you have any questions? <laughs> yeah. Okay. How are you feeling right now? Right now? Emotionally. I'll be honest, like being vulnerable is not my cup of tea. As much as I want other people to be vulnerable. And perhaps because I am that which I seek. Because of that, I'm feeling uncomfortably vulnerable. Right mm, uncomfortably vulnerable. Is there anything that I or Alan mm -hmm. could do to make you feel more safe or comfortable right now? I would say what would help me feel more comfortable right now is if you have questions for me that I can answer or any feedback that you have with what I've already said. Great. Well, being with you, mm -hmm. I'll share my experience. First of all, there's a lot of richness and rock-solid strength and conviction. Mm. You know, like, you're definitely connected to something. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's also, there's like a, like a, um, like this image, like, I'm getting that about you too, that like, um, that there's a, different kind of rich makeup underneath all that as well. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, um... A conglomerate of energies. Mm-hmm. That... curious about, you know, you, uh, when you, when you talk about, when you say the phrase mental illness, the first response I have is interest. Mm. I'll talk about the mental illness in context to something I read 
from Joseph Campbell's Mythic Worlds and Modern World uh, Modern Words. He talked about the difference between the artist and the schizoid. Yeah. There is a difference, mm-hmm. and it's a fine line. The artist is able to complete the hero's journey, meaning to take all those disassociated images that are rich and raw. Did you just say the artist is able to complete the hero's journey and the schizo is not? Yeah. The schizo is stuck in the underworld on a pit stop thinking it's the des- thinking it's the destination. So an example is Batman and Joker. Batman is the artist and Joker is the schizoid and here's why. Batman is half man, half bat. He can cross worlds between the polite society, suit and tie, normie, and then he could cross into the realm of dream where he is the bat at night and he fights. He transforms all that angst and anguish and pain and he's able to channel it towards something he believes in, in a silver lining called hope. Hope in the crazy faith that somehow humanity can still be good despite how real and raw it really is. Despite all odds. The Joker, on the other hand, is someone who understood the other side finally. He crossed over from the ordinary world to the extraordinary or the unknown world. And he thinks that this is the destination. He thinks that the chaos is the answer. And what he doesn't realize is that he starts projecting he knows that everyone has a shadow but what he wants to do is he wants it he wants to create scenarios to um, have people reveal themselves they're ugly faster not realizing that the way he's going about it is the same way that makes humanity sucky and where Batman has integrated the shadow, where he goes and crosses back into the ordinary world and brings the elixir back. Bat- Joker is unable to do that because he thinks that the shadow is the answer. It's the final answer when it's only half the answer. It's Integros or what James Joyce calls static art. That is the beauty of what art is. Static art is integrated. It's the good and the bad together in dance. And kinetic art um, is art that is designed to incite fear or incite uh, fear and loathing or desire. So it's like, I would say it's, um, it's a manipulation tactic. 
So there's a distinction between um, kinetic art and static art. And the artist is able to create static art. So for example, Michelangelo's David is static art because he's not just a naked statue, but he is the epitome of, of what the finest... What's wrong with a naked statue? There is nothing wrong with it. Can we see it? Oh, Michelangelo's David? I mean, when I say naked, I mean like naked heart. Oh, know? oh. Um, you can technically see it in Florence, and you can metaphorically see it in your own heart. Because David represents... Perfect. Let's do it. Yeah. So, let's talk about the origins of your spiritual intelligence, if you don't mind me. Getting a little bit more concrete in the illustration of David. Okay. So, the story of David and Goliath is that David was just an average shepherd's boy that everyone overlooked and there was a Philistine that wanted to uh, invade their people so this giant Cyclops if you will uh, was so big that nobody could defeat him but David said I can do it and instead of using his might, because he knows that he's not as strong as the giant in muscle, he used his faith, his faith in what he is good at. And what he is good at is taking shots through slingshots. And so yeah. he used the most basic thing that he's so, that he, only he's good at, to defeat something that is seemingly impossible to defeat. So the stone and the sling represents being able to do, to pierce through the heart of darkness using the most simple things that you already have within you to do, that you, have may, that you may have overlooked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and by virtue of doing it you are metaphorically naked yes vulnerable as you are fully known and so that uh, static art David in the Florence uh, Academy of Fine Arts in their museum that represents to humanity that vulnerability is indeed a strength, not a weakness. And... You believe that? I do. I do. If you believe that, then why was it uncomfortable for you to be more vulnerable? Because I'm still human. I still deal with the third curse of Adam which is, I hide from you because I am naked. It's, it's a day-to-day -day 
contention of that curse. A curse weakens and it could ultimately break, but on God's time. So for me, um, just knowing something isn't the cure. It's the initiation of... It's the, the actual heart surgery. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's the actual heart surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the transformation of the heart over time because the first definition is patience. And so uh, going back to Adam, when Adam hid Eve from God after he bit, he realized that she judged him for being weak, for being naked. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why she wanted him to bite the fruit so he could, let's say, armor up to be competent next to the serpent because she started judging Adam on the standards of the snake. As far, she didn't feel like vulnerability could be truly strong. Because she was deceived by her naiveness of, of believing the faith of God's goodness, which is actually good. But after she bit, she forgot about that and she started focusing on the deception of the serpent. And she started forgetting her own faith that made her so great and is making her great, which is her faith in God's love is good. And so if you go down that rabbit hole with me, you'll see that when Adam lied to God, he said, I hid from you because I am naked. When the truth is, I hid you, I mean, sorry, I hid from you, God. I hid Eve from you because she deceived me. He was protecting her. Adam protects Eve. He is the sheath and she is the katana sword. He protects her head and her head pierces through the serpent because she is the phoenix. Alan, what's it like for you hearing this from Minji? The deeper endeavoring into Minji's vulnerabilities will improve all other aspects of being. Alan, do you think that vulnerability is strong? Yes. 
Um, what? Vulnerability is love. And it catalyzes more love. So the curse reversal for Adam is love because Adam created the first man-made law that How vulnerable are you? I would say 80% because what I've learned is I'm still balancing the fine line between vulnerability and that essence that makes me me without people or external forces hurting that. There's an inner core that still needs to be nurtured, guarded like a gardener would protect the sanctity of something growing and nurturing, mm -hmm. like an inner child, there's still a core that is beautifully contained. And then the vulnerability shines when the soul what's it like for you mm -hmm. to see alan energetically vulnerabilize a little I how see. does it feel emotionally if it does i see I honestly see a screen and I see two people who are open but then when I close my eyes and I feel I feel the resonance of conflicting energies at play because love is a weapon of 
destroying death. Love is a weapon. What does it mean to be love? Mm. To be love is to walk in the miracles that God has divinely designed for me to walk. It isn't always water. Sometimes love is also rock. Love can also be sharp as it is amorphous. Love is the ultimate shape shifter that contains the shape-shifting snake. Love is the unknown and the known. Mm. Love is the depth, the non itself, because the non reveals. Is there any greater gift than when someone is love? Is there any greater gift than when someone is love? Yes. God, who created us to embody love. That is the greatest gift. Yes. I invite you to just take a glance at Alan. (laughs) Oh my God, what is this? Is this a cry or a laugh? It's both. Okay. He's participating joyfully and sorrowfully in the world. It's the Buddha consciousness. To participate joyfully. Joyful sorrow is the way of the Buddha consciousness. Yeah. Because it's the acknowledgement of the non. While in love. It's zero and one. <laughs> Alan is zero and one over here. He's like yeah, he heartfeltly crying and then like grinning. It's quite a duo. Anyway, I'm enjoying intuitively asking you stuff. Yeah. Okay. I also want to discuss the vulnerability of love, which is the depth, and which is actually the true purpose of Lucifer. How I discovered this was while I was in Poland, I saw a beautiful book called The Art of Light. 
Yeah. And it's essentially a book on how light casted and designed on a live stage can create a transformative experience for the audience. And what I've learned about lighting techniques is it's a play on shadows. It's a play on dark and light. And the artists that are good at lighting are the ones who understand two sides of the same coin. They understand light and the absence and that how it plays together. And so that said, I realize that the existence of the non reveals the depth of God's love. And the existence of Lucifer embodying the non reveals the depth of God's love for Lucifer. And that is the initiation of an anti-curse. Grace. So just like what would touch you as deeply as Alan? It happened in Montenegro when I was looking at the sunset. And that moment I realized my divine design. And in that moment I understood that when Jesus traded our position to go to hell for us, God traded his position for Jesus. God embraced the non. And that's why Nietzsche said that God is dead and we killed him. And the good news is Jesus is now in heaven. So now you have all the nooses aligned, which was the original prophecy of, of Mary, which is the noose. What in this moment hmm. would touch you as... Um, as really as Alan. I came to bring a message. And then what the world wants to do with that message is up to each individual. My moment of feeling what Alan is feeling came sometime in March when I looked at the sunset 
and had that moment of divine revelation. Mm-hmm. So, what's it like for you to witness Alan or others touched in this way? Trust. Trust in God. Because I am not God. I am just a person who has been impacted by the Holy Spirit. And I am only one piece of the puzzle. And Alan is another piece of the puzzle and you are another piece of the puzzle and each of us have something to offer everyone has two truths and a lie that's the name of the game and it's up to each person to discern what parts are the truth and what parts are the lie and we could do it through 1 Corinthians 13 12 through the mirror your compassion. And speaking of compassion, I'm called to bring this news to everyone here in this space. The mere effect worked with Lucifer and Eve to serve as mirrors of each other. The fall of Adam serves as a mirror for the fallen angels. Because Adam chose to bite the fruit so that Eve would not have to suffer alone, so he could share the weight of the burden of consciousness of the non. That mirrors you the know angels who have chosen to fall, fall with Lucifer why are you out of so compassion? devoted to these teachings? I'm just here to bring what I'm channeled to bring right now. And it is compassion for the fallen angels who have compassion for fallen Lucifer who is suffering with him and the hope of love is to serve as a mirror so that they can see the beauty within themselves the white dot in the yin the noose the new center of their heart so they could find their wings and fly back Great. Mingji. Mm. I feel 
experiencing how you are connecting dots. There's something that focuses really heavily on the parables and the connecting of the stories which are extremely important and yet for me there's a missed feeling of your essence like you were describing when you were watching that sons mm. yeah I'm curious how you guys would feel about probing deeper but also turning the cameras off I'm okay with you just probing deeper if you want. Okay. Because I'm... Well, okay. As I am. So, I'm curious. We all are like a bundle of energies. Mm-hmm. Past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. How expressed mm-hmm. is this one? Hmm. definitely not fully expressed there's still so I'd like to uncover myself through the parable of the curse of Adam I want to unfold myself through him if you will because I can very identify with the masculine in some sense Adam didn't just carry his curse he carried the curse of not good enough from Lucifer and also I'm weak and I covet the powers of manipulation cunning and intelligence from Eve Adam also has to bear the weight of I hide from you. I harden myself to protect myself from the rest of the world, like basically walling off and hardening the heart because I am naked, because I have these shortcomings or whatever you might call it, but I'm I'm not curious about the one who is like, who is like shatteringly weak what do you mean who is like so so weak so fragile that one ounce of a glance from any witnessing eye would expose the truth of absolute 
weakness or or damn that reminds me I have so much stuff like that wow like I'm curious about the one within her Mm. that is like who knows she's weak like by that I mean like there's a there's a deep conviction embodied there's um there's a curse of weakness there's a a a reality that must hide Hmm. I hear what you're saying you're saying like what is the one thing that you've hidden that you have not contended with because it's so vulnerable that to be able to see it is to see your picture of Dorian Gray. Remind me, Dorian Gray. Oh, the, it's the Oscar Wilde story about a beautiful boy who doesn't age. It's very, very just high class and beautiful. But he keeps a very deep, dark secret of his picture of his soul. His soul is ugly, and it starts rotting, and he keeps it up in the closet. It's possible that Minji's been using parables a lot to describe her experience. And that may be incredible for many of us at many times yet it almost is as though it's one step removed from actual felt experience and using words and expressing emoting that is actually present here Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah um I will say that the kind of rawness and the depth of my ugliness has been has been confronted through safe portals that I've been covered under to deal with it. Does that make sense? I think so. What is in that? It's as if there's a safe space from to contain the monster that I carry inside me. What is that monster? Right. Apathy. Do you think that this space here today mm-hmm. can hold what you invoke, what you bring up? Can the space in real time right now hold the monster of apathy contained within me? Mm-hmm. The energy of it. Yes. 
Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. How deep is it? As deep as God's grace. As deep as your compassion and Alan's compassion for apathy. What's your relationship with your apathy? Mm. It has to do with the fundamental root chakra of fear. And it's a feminine chakra. And I discovered this at Shasta Mountain when I was meditating there. It's the fear of being abandoned, being rejected, being completely left behind in the non, in the void. And that is the root of my apathy. It came from the root chakra. Fear. Red. How deep is it? That one, only the goddess Kali could know. I don't, I don't know personally but I do know that it's a lot deeper than I could imagine. And this is something that I believe people who understand Kali, the goddess, knows. I have a, a glimpse of that, but I have not personally fully embraced the void There's good news to all this. The resurrection playbook, Eve's original design is the initiation of the curse, which is the anti-curse. And the anti-curse is zero to one. Just like Peter Thiel would say, zero to one. It's the resurrection playbook that has been prophesied and affirmed by the original Eve before she fell. You will not, you will surely not die. It's a false positive. False negative. Sorry, it's a false negative, which makes it a positive. So she affirmed it and transformed the valence from the trick into the tree. And that is the beauty of love. 
I do believe that after we so-called die, we actually resurrect in spirit through faith and love and God's goodness and love. God is love. True. And that is the love story. That is how you transform a tragedy into a divine comedy. It is as easy, sorry, it's as simple and hard as saying yes to love. The path to heaven is indeed narrow because love is narrowly defined. And the way to heaven is love. It has to be. There's no other way. Every other possibility is the unknown. It's the void. It's the non. Zero. It's everything. <sighs> it's empty and meaningless. It's you create everything. What are... the other facets to the monster mm. the other facet is the hidden desire of the monster the hidden desire of the monster is always good according to the law of polarity is this related to your felt experience your monster it could be yeah it could definitely what is When I feel that monster in me, mm. I feel similarly to how you, I feel, are feeling. Mm. I want to be more vulnerable about that monster and see and be with and love that shadow that's there mm. and do you feel that way about yours mm. very good question how do you defeat the monster a really wise man once sat me down and said, if you try to feed the monster, it will grow and swallow you whole. If you try and fight the monster, you will lose. The only way to be with the monster is to integrate with it. Shadow integration or ride the dragon, ride it, ride on top of the dragon. So how do you do that? Well, talk about it from your experience. I'll first preface by saying everyone's way is unique. So my particular experience will only work for me. Your experience has to be unlocked by the unique gene expressions that have been open for you 
so you can find the how. But the means, how you do it, is constant for all three of us, which is love defined. So if you were looking at it as a scientific experiment, the control, the control is love and the variable is very different. So that said, my unique way is artist-inspired journaling or what I like to call journal artism. So being able to journal the valences, the signs, symbols, and surroundings, the supernatural things that create anomalies. That's how you're doing your integration, but what is the shadow in you? Hmm. Apathy. That monster. What are the facets and the felt experience for you of the word apathy? What are it? What is it? Mm. Well, for example, I, when men, certain men, before, fall in love with me, I somehow know how to harden or darken the heart through a series of mind manipulations that can push them away or harden them without, and this is subconscious. What would happen to you if you didn't? If I didn't? What could happen? If I did not do that? Uh, or if I did do that? Is that shadow subconscious that expresses itself through the hardening of the hearts of those that love you? What is that? How does that work? How does the shadow um, operate? What is your felt experience with your hardening of those hearts that love you? Mm. I think it starts with the hardening of my own heart. Once I started hardening my heart because I had resentments against men in general from the first heartbreak I received, I started to, uh, there's a subconscious that wanted to have other people feel my pain, and that's the Joker's way. 
<sighs> yeah. The Joker is the schizoid because when they're in a dark place, their desire, their, the villain's true desire is to have other people's higher conscious state regress into a level of a lower conscious state. So there's a saying, misery loves company. And for me, at least, I've realized that that's true when I am not in love with myself, when I don't practice actively grace and compassion what would happen is the men that truly do see the shine in me and do want to be with my divine feminine if I do not contend with my own monster side the shadow self of breaking men's hearts and disembodying their spirit if you will or dismembering their spirit um, if I don't contend with that monster then I would subconsciously harden their hearts through criticism not good enough judgments um, and a push and pull a sociopathic type of, re of, of borderline personality um, like setup it's a zero-sum setup just like the Nazis set up their prisoners they set them up to fail so the monster side of me would try and set up men to feel like they're failures in living up to the standards that I've arbitrarily set for them and that is the original curse of Eve is Adam you're not as strong as the snake. Please scale up. Harden. Be as wise and cunning and manipulative as the serpent so that you can protect me from this evil. And that is a fallen state. It's called false humility. And that is the shadow I've been contending with. Take us to the first experiences of the heart hardening from that shadow mm. I would say it's from an observation It's an observation that if I don't feel good about myself because I believe in the, let's say, the serpent's lie that I am not good enough, then instead of contending with that lie, I'll secretly believe in it and then I'll project it onto someone who does like me like what's wrong with you for liking me there must be something wrong with you if you were to like someone like me and that revelation came early I think I was in uh, first grade or second grade I fell, I, I fell for a boy crush on this Italian 
Mexican neighbor friend of mine and he I just I cared about him so much but I remember embarrassing him in front of his friends as a little girl and that was an ego crush for him and that was when I realized that no, I didn't realize it then. But now looking back in hindsight, 2020, I realized that was me um, feeling like I needed to fix him. I needed to solve his problem by mothering him or like by kind of controlling him. I think that's the word. Manipulating to control through criticism and judgment. Um, to just calling out his shadows when it's frankly none of my business. But I didn't know that. I did not know that. Let's just say, I'll, I'll pull a quote from Brian Reeves, one of the artists we interviewed. We are all innocent in our ignorance. It doesn't excuse what I do, but what it does is it offers me a point of being able to transform it because you can't transform that which you do not admit is. Ori, that question that you asked earlier about what would it look like if that shadow was loved? Angie, how do you feel about that? Mm. Yeah, I think I'm still balancing that. Balancing. Sorry, let me say it again. I think there's There's a dance, that's the best word. There's a dance between enabling your shadow and loving your shadow. And not a lot of us, including myself, know the difference. Sometimes we mix enabling our shadow and calling it love. Love is actually a warrior discipline. It's like being able to bend the spoon in the matrix. It's, you're not imposing on the spoon to bend it. You're actually realizing you're in the matrix and it's the mind that needs to bend first. So that said, I think when it comes to integrating your shadow everyone's way about going to do it is very different loving it is definitely a key to doing it but loving it without enabling and that's something I believe I'm still searching to solve 
I will, I will say it has something to do with the Holy Trinity. It's the only way to do it, it's to call upon the Holy Spirit. And for me, for me personally, it's Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and the Father, the Holy Trinity. I think it's just been bastardized by people who have used that and and alchemized it for self-serving purposes and that has jaded a lot of people when they hear the word Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. But if you strip away all the noise and the imperfection of being human, if you just look at the basic source codes of the Holy Trinity, you'll know that these are the basic containers to the the circle, which is our karmic soul in this simulated reality. It's the Holy Trinity. That's the key to integrating the shadow. It's a reliance on a power greater than yourself. That's good. What about for those that are six billion that don't believe in the Holy Trinity? That's okay. They have other methodology. Yep. Because it's not up to me. I'm not God. I'm curious how Ori feels. About what? going on and about the layers. I feel um I feel 
didn't land mm. and emotionally Emotionally, I feel unfulfilled mm. and disheartened. Because my love is real. It's landing. The landing of mm, the landing of this love is. Um. Mm. 
the landing of <clears throat> this love is everything. everything. The mission's not completed yet. Yes. I want to read a passage that has to do with what you just said. The feeling of like your heart is searching for a landing yet it hasn't landed Yet it's beating for that landing. <laughs> Just locked eyes with Alan. Looks <laughs> beautiful with that sunlight. I know. Hi, welcome to simulation. <laughs> I'm no face. <laughs> <laughs> After this passage. Mm-hmm. After this passage, we're going to wrap. Yep. All right. Okay. Totally. I might have to look for it on my phone because... Well, who cares that? about a passage? It's very important. It's Romans, and it talks about the... Every time we go to these depths of the psyche, mm. it's just reborn. Mm. It's just, it just increases the intensity level of life, and then it also increases the, the experiential wisdom of understanding that there is just so much more to the psyche in existence than my favorite part about passages in yes passages or parables passages or passages um passages passages or passages? Passages are passages. <laughs> passages are passages? Passages to what you're searching for. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. It's a passage. Yeah. You have a lot of passages in that book. I had to write a bunch down before we started. 
pause. Okay, the, the phone oh. has the search. Yeah. Okay. Passages are passages to what we are seeking. Yeah. Like that. To, passages are passages to the ascension. And part of the miracle is that there's something that you're saying, that you're downloading from, that I need to hear. And there's things that you're looking for that I'm giving you a piece of that download. So that's how Yeah, that's the what, mirror yeah. work. And works. then there's our viewers too. And yeah. the viewers, yeah, absolutely sorry. Yeah, it's pretty fun on silent while you read the Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, you're so popular. Wow. <laughs> Wow, such popularity. It's like all different types of dings, too. So it's like all different messenger platforms. People are like, Ninji, oh my gosh, why have you been off the grid for two hours? We're trying to get in touch with you as soon as possible to talk about love and the ascension of consciousness. Romans. Journal journalardism. Yo, this moment is lit up in heavenly. It is actually this right now. This set is, I think, for the first time lit up like this. No, well, I don't know if we've just have not done a show at this time yet. That might be it because I've seen the light here on you before. Where's Mother Mary? Yo, you be sending messages not looking for that passage. <laughs> I'm looking for the passage. Then come on the set so we can take a look at what you're doing. Oh, gosh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember it. Oh, oh here it is. Romans 8.22 to 8.24. Okay. This is the New International Version. Romans 22. Thank you. You're welcome. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit mm -hmm. groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our, for our adoption to sonship. Mm the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? The best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, thank you. And, thank mm, you. and how eagerly we wait for our adoption to sonship for those who have the first fruits of the spirit ah.
Alright. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Ori. Thank you. Would you thank you so much for coming on our show? It's my pleasure. It's been an honor. The love story is incredible. It's, thank you. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and teaching us about it. Thank you. And thank you for holding space mm -hmm. for all those. Or you holding thank space. Thank you for holding space for all those. You can find that oriholdingspace.com. Yes. Hashtag orbit space. Orbit space. Ooh, I like that. Orbit space. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Have more conversations with your friends, families, coworkers, people online about the love story. And get more involved with your own divine connection to spirit do that self-work process and also check out the lovestory.org there's a bunch of other incredible journeys on there thank you yeah check those out and they can actually even participate in this journal artism absolutely yeah we're hosting our first workshop of journal artism in october and you can currently check us out get involved as a filmmaker or a journal artist writer or a showcase producer. In LA. In LA or anywhere. We're yeah. international. The events in LA though. Actually we're producing a program where it could be it can be internationally. Yeah. Boom. I love it. Also um Minjizai.com that links in the bio as well. Her Instagram and LinkedIn profiles are down there as well. Check those out. Support the artists, the entrepreneurs the organizations, the spiritual leaders around the world that you believe in, support them, help them grow. Support Simulation, our links are in the bio, Patreon, PayPal, Cryptocurrency, Design Cool Merch and Get Paid, all those links are below. Thanks, Ori, for producing the first big chunk. Thank you. Welcome. Greatly appreciate it. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. <laughs> we love you very much. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you soon. Peace. <laughs> Thank you.